We're not just ready, but the, but the music just dropped, so it makes me feel like I'm ready. But I wanted to say, thank you for coming out. It's Sunday. What's up, y'all? How you doing? Hey. That was weak. I need more energy than that. It is Sunday. What up, Pax? What y'all doing? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Because we need that energy. It's Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Trucks and all that other good stuff. Um, so thank you, everybody, for coming and hanging out this afternoon. Uh, this is the Indie Megabooth Building Bridges and Breaking Barriers panel. I'm your moderator, Khalif Adams, of the Spawn on Me podcast. Shout out to all of you for making it through the week. Uh, and shout out to all of our guests who are going to be rocking with us on the panel this afternoon. I'm just going to go down the list and say what's up to everybody uh, and get everyone in the groove because we are here about to talk about some video games and cool stuff. Uh, so to my left is Huyan Keanu from the uh, beautiful Glitch crew. He's the creative director over there. Shout out to Julian. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. Kelly Wallach is the founder of the Indie Megaboo. Shout out to Kelly. What's up, Kelly? <laughs> Chandana Akanyake is from uh, Outer Loop. He is the co-founder of that outfit. Shout out to Ika. Last but not least, over on the far end is Abby Heppy, who is the communications manager for Media Molecule. Shout out to you, Abby. What's good? So this panel is going to be about kind of bridging those gaps, talking about the conversation about how do you do that in the space, uh, especially on the indie side and even on the AAA side. Um, first of all, I want to go down the line. Because it is Sunday and we know just how tired everyone is, I have to ask the, <laughs> the question of how the hell are you doing? How are you feeling right now? Is everything good? Yeah, a bit exhausted, but I, I guess everyone here, but it's a good existence, so it's fine. Not too bad, not too bad. Kelly, how are you holding up? Uh, I've been doing pretty good. I'm doing the uh, drinking lots of water and going to bed on time thing. What is that? <laughs> what is yeah. that about? Yeah, I think I, I told you the story before, but one of the first times I met Robert Koo, he was like, I don't ever drink at shows, and I was like, oh, I don't get that. <laughs> And I've tried it, and it's amazing. So. Isn't, it, isn't it great? It's like you feel all hydrated, your skin feels all good. It's yeah. like you walk outside, don't feel dry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ika, how you holding up? I'm doing the opposite of Kelly. <laughs> no sleep and drinking a lot. Um, but the fans keep me going. It's been really fun just being here, and I'll sleep next week. Yeah, ne next week. Abby, how you holding up? I'm, I'm like the combination of those, where it's like, I've had a few drinks, and I've gone to bed at a really reasonable hour, only this is my first PAX with jet lag. Yeah. And so, you know, at 3 in the morning, I'm like, hey, how's PAX? And then at 3 in the afternoon, I'm like, oh, <laughs> 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 We're at that stage. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic show. Uh, if you're covering the show, or if you're just a person kind of running around trying to find games to play, it is fantastic. But it is definitely one of those things you need rest after <laughs> you do that. Um, so we're going to go down the line. I want to talk a little bit about and kind of open up the discussion about, you know, a little bit of introduction so everybody can kind of let you all know, you know, what they do in the industry. I'm going to start from the far end and then work my way back this way. So Abby, if you could start us off, just give the folks in the audience a little bit of an intro of what you do at Media Molecule and, and the stuff that you've been doing in the industry. Sure. Um, so I started in print media uh, as an editor for a magazine called Tips and Tricks, um, which no longer exists. Uh, and then I found my way to television where I was a uh, producer for a show called X-Play on G4. And then from there to the developer world where I was at Respawn Entertainment on Titanfall for five and a half years. Now I'm at Media Molecule. And I started off as actually a remote employee uh, commuting to Guilford, England once a month from Los Angeles. Uh, and now I'm full time in the UK. 
Um, my job is managing, uh, like basically, marketing, uh, community, uh, PR, anything outward facing for our company. So I help a lot of people uh, like with talks. I work on a lot of our trailers. I work with licensing. I work with marketing and PR to make sure that like we're always presenting Media Molecule to the world. Awesome. Ika? Um, I've been making games for a while. Uh, I started at 19 at Bethesda, uh, a game called Morrowind, small game. <laughs> I, was, I started as an artist. Um, I do a lot of art and design now, so I've worked in multiple companies. I started Outer Loop uh, last, so yeah, last August. Um, it's a small studio here in, in the Seattle area. We're about seven of us. We're doing a game called Falcon Age. It's a game where you about burbs, and uh, you become you learn to become a falcon hunter. Um, so right now, these days, I run the business, do art, design, and shows <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. So. Kelly? Um, yeah, so I started working on the Mega Booth actually next month. It'll be seven years um, since we first started. Yeah. <laughs> Which is totally incredible. Um, and so my life before that, I was a scientist. I worked as a chemist, and I wasn't involved in video games at all. And so I've actually been working in video games now longer than I think I had a career in the sciences, which is, um, yeah, not something I ever thought was going to happen. Yeah, and so we started off at PAX. And um, for those of you who have stopped by the fourth floor, the Indie Mega Booth area is kind of like where all the indie games hang out. And we have this really amazing community that we built over that time. Um, I think it was like almost 800 companies we've worked with over the course of, of the seven years. and like. Yeah, everyone's amazing, and the PAX fans are amazing, and it's just, yeah, it's been a wild ride. Um, and so I think, I don't even know how to describe what my job is uh, at the Mega Booth, but <laughs> just all of it. Um, and we have an amazing team now, so it's like I'm kind of less on the like logistics day-to-day -day stuff and more like how do we grow the community and how do we connect up indie games with fans. Uh, and then I'm also the chairperson for the Independent Games Festival, which is an award ceremony for independent game developers that's held at GDC each year. Um, and that's been going on for about 20 years, and I've been running it, I think this will be my fourth year that I'm doing that. Um, so basically anything that kind of has to do with the, like indie games and the community um, and kind of advocating for that is pretty much like, I guess, what my role would be. I feel like after that you just have to like drop a mic or just scream boss. <laughs> <laughs> Panel over. Julian. <laughs> Uh, I just has been working in media games for two years, so now now I, I feel a bit inadequate. But but I, I don't come from the game industry. I come from advertising and communications. Uh, I started working in video games because I don't know how like video games. And so we recently, like three four months ago, released our first game, which is called Monster Prom. It's like a multiplayer narrative adventure. A bit of party game, a bit of a dating sim, and it's going really good because apparently people like to romance monsters, and so good for us. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So you're the perfect person to ask this first question because, Why? as as someone who is newer to the to the industry and okay. to the space, you know one of the things that we all try to figure out and kind of convey to folks who who may not be in game development is just what that process looks like for folks, um, both on the inside and kind of on the outside. So, you know, what are some of the challenges that you've kind of faced so far with you being in the industry for the first couple of years? And, and kind of talk about, you know, how you've kind of viewed some of those things and how you kind of reached and, and, and beat some of those obstacles. Yeah, we, um, I, I worked in the video game industry for like eight or ten months before starting my own project. I was like the PR guy for a really small indie studio in Barcelona. I, by the way, I'm from Barcelona, Spain. Uh, and the, the game 
really like tanked big time. It was a failure, to be honest. And I took a lot of notes because, you know, everyone is saying all the time, and it's kind of true that the, uh, in the video game scene, the indie scene is really crowded right now. And, and I think the big challenge is, is right at the start to think on an on, on idea that makes sense for, for to your resources and that makes sense for um, the current market. And then, I don't know, the big challenge is to find the right team. That I think it, it, it's a lot about the, getting the, the right idea, not because it's super creative, but also because it's, it's viable, it's strategic. Um, it fits the market, even if it's super niche. I, I made a game about romancing monsters, a, a multiplayer dating sim. It's not like I did a match three, you know, which is completely fine too. Uh, <laughs> it is, it is. But um, so it's finding your spot in the market, I think, and then finding the right team, which is really a challenge. In our case, I I love how we find the team. We are like a lot. We have a lot of collaborators, but the core team were like five people. We started being four, and, and here's the, the thing with the three, and it's really fast. Um, the programmer, which is here, is Elias. Uh, he worked with me at another company, and I went to him with a notebook and a lot of like scribbles with, uh, like, don't get a new job, just come with me to make this game, <laughs> it will work. I, I, I have to be clear, I wasn't in the game industry before, so, so he believed in the idea, and he just come, and, and he has worked since then, and it's amazing. And also, the artist, I met him doing a, a really nice passion project. I, I hold a, a part of the, of the game, which is the in, indie design. It's a celebration of indie games, like a collaborative art book of, of different indie games portrayed by different artists. I, I did that as a passion project, but I found my, my artist, who is amazing, thanks to that. And the writer is just, I was thinking on the game, like the game direction and, and, and everything, and I, I thought, like, Three years ago, I read this book. I was laughing out loud at public spaces, feeling really embarrassed. And it's just what I want for my game. And I just went to my, the bookshelf of, of my house. I checked the book. I checked the author. I contacted him. And I was like, I have this idea. It's about romancing monsters. Do you want to join? Um, let's talk about that. And he's now the writer. And so <laughs> it's, it's going for it and, and trying to do the best with your resources, being realistic, because lots of indies just fail before releasing, mm. and I think that's no enough planning and a strategic thinking. But if you get the right team, that's, I think that's uh, one of the biggest steps you can take. Awesome, awesome. I'm gonna come to you, Kelly, with that question, but at a different angle. Okay. So, um, what are the things that you hear from the folks when you're helping to curate and kind of showcase the folks in Indie Mega Booth that yeah. they are asking you about some of the challenges that they are finding and how you can help, help them kind of overcome some of those things? Yeah, I mean, I think discoverability is a giant issue because there's just, there's a lot of indie games. And then I think for indie games particularly, there's audiences of people that I think would really like them and some of them can be very niche and like how do you actually reach those audiences and how do they discover you and find you? Um, you know, like a, a game like Monster Prom or something, you know, like obviously like there's an audience of people who want to play a game like that, but like are they hanging out on Steam? Are they on Xbox? Are they on PlayStation? Like, do they even not care about any of this stuff? Is it just like word of mouth? Um, and so I think discoverability is a is a big giant concern for a lot of um, a lot of indie developers. And then also like kind of um, balancing the creative and the business and the the technical side. Like I think that there's a have like a a tendency if you're running your own company or you're running your own studio to like lose track of your work-life balance and to like, how many resources do you actually need? Like how many people do you really need on your team? How much funding do you actually need? How long can you make, like how long can you be working on the game? Um, and like what's the trade-off on that? 
Um, and so I, I think that that's probably two of the biggest things that we kind of hear. And the ways that we try and help with that is obviously we're curating, so we're saying like, okay, we're helping with the discoverability issue. Um, but then we don't really have a fan audience so much. Like people at PAX really like us and they know who we are, but outside of that, like, you know, if you just went to a random person who plays video games and told them about the mega booth, like they wouldn't really know who we are. Um, so we've been really trying to change that is to like find the audiences of people that already like the work that we do and already like those kinds of games. Um, and so we've started up a mailing list and so you can sign up for that actually at the booth or, um, or on the website, and then we will send out to you and say like, hey, this game is coming out this month, or like, this is a show that we're gonna be at, or here's a cool thing that's happening. Because um, I really believe that there's a lot of underserved audiences out there, and there's a lot of developers who are making the cool content for them, and the kind of missing piece is like, how are they talking to each other, and where are they finding each other? Um, and we also try and work with other like bigger platforms and stuff as well to kind of advocate on the behalf of curating for indie content or curating for more diverse audiences. Because if you kind of have this thing where you're just like, always promoting the same kind of content over and over again, then you're just gonna get the same kind of audiences over and over again. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Ika, I wanna, I wanna hit you with that question, but from another angle. Okay. Um, so you're an industry vet, you've been in the game for a while. Um, the thing that I think most people are trying to figure out who are either starting game development or kind of in their midlife crisis of game development <laughs> and trying to figure out what the next steps may be, um, do you feel like the, the, the struggles that you've heard from uh, uh, younger developers or even you know, from your own experiences when you were first starting out, do you feel like we're getting better with the kind of overarching narratives that we see of, of, of issues that we see coming up in the space? Do you feel like things are kind of getting better now that you've been in the industry for a while? Um, I mean, there's, it's, it's different now, but I mean, the, the, the thing I see now is uh, just the, the tools and the accessibility for things to get people to you know, get started in, in games is, is much better than it was when yeah. I started, because there was no schools you can go to, um, or Unity, or, or you know, Unreal, or free tools like that to even get started, so um, in that case, it's, it's gotten a lot better, and you know, I started before the internet, so <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago, uh, and YouTube, and, and Twitter, and you know, all that stuff, so it's, uh, it's very different. Um, so I do, a lot of, uh, I do a lot of mentoring now, like at GDC, and, and um, in my, in my spare time <laughs> with some other younger devs. So I think a lot of it is, there's a lot of resources. It's just really, um, it, yeah, you just have to have the drive. <laughs> if, you really, if you think, you know, I, the, the best thing I, I tell people is just, if you want to make a game, just go make a game. Like it's, uh, you know, and start small. Because I have lots of half-started games that I never finished because they're, they're just, it's really hard to finish a game. So just start super, super simple, and um, there's a lot of resources, and Twitter's been good, and social media's been good to reach out to people and uh, for help. Um, for example, the game I'm working on now, um, the writer on it, she did a game called 80 Days, and I, like, I heard her on her podcast, and I was like, I want to work with her. I think yeah. that would be really good. So I just reached out to her on, you know, on Twitter and had a conversation about the game I want to make, and now she's working on, on, on my project, and I think she's also doing uh, Boyfriend Dungeon, which is like one of the things... I really wanted to play. I still haven't played there. We're, we're right next to each other at the mega booth, but we've been so busy, haven't I got a chance to play it yet? But um, I, it's really cool to see a lot more diverse voices and uh, people in games that aren't making the same type of games too. Yeah. That's a lot more um, like romance games, which I, you know, it's been great. Like I went to, uh, uh, I was in New York for an event. Um, uh, uh, it was a game devs of color expo, and it was like I think. There's like 20 romance games, which is awesome, right? Like I love that all, that's all a types, 
all types, and I was just, it's great to see, and, and like, it doesn't have to be the same kind of experience um, you see in, in AAA space, so I think I'm, I'm really happy to be in, in the space, and I'm uh, super excited about still making games. So. Yeah, shout out to GDoc. If you're in the tri-state area, you need to go check out GDoc, because it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Abby, I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna roll into what this all looks like from the communication side, because that's really interesting. As a, as a person who's trying to hopefully do CM work in that real, in that real way, what is it like to kind of try to figure out how to balance out and share out, you know, the work that you're all doing at MM while also trying to be cognizant of <clears throat> the kind of pitfalls that we see on the internet uh, doing what that does? Um, what's, what's that been like, uh, kind of massaging all that stuff together to make it dope? That makes that a little bit easier. Um, but really, I mean, we put a lot of thought into uh, into everything we do. I mean, it's not just, uh, there's the tendency to think of it as like, oh, you know, you just you tweet about something or what's going on in the studio. But like, we actually build, you know, multi-month strategy. Um, you know, when it comes to a show like PAX, Yeah. Yes. Can you just repeat <laughs> everything you just said? Yeah. Um, <laughs> for the recording. You just, okay, here we go. Um, you know, I, that's, I was saying, that that's where a lot of strategy comes in. Like, we actually spend a lot of time building out, um, you know, like, multi-month strategy when it comes to shows. You know, we, we really look for, like, what our community is, uh, you know, wants to see. We think about that. But I also spend a lot of time working directly with the developers at our company and making sure that every time somebody is going out, uh, you know, to shows, I, I talk to people about um, just the pitfalls of social media, and I also tell them about setting boundaries for social media, like, yeah. we don't expect you as a company uh, to be out there as a company uh, representative all of the time, and we really love when you do that, but we love when you share what we do and uh, the content that we put out. We don't expect you to have to take the onus of supporting the entire community, and I think as fun as it is to do all the things that we do and to like stream all the time and to be on all the time and to answer questions and to really interact because it is so important yeah. to getting the word out about your games and doing that. It's equally as important to set your own boundaries um, so that you don't burn out, so that you don't, you know, find yourself in a frustrated place, so that you don't make people feel like they have to be responsible for being on all the time, for interacting all the time, and for being a representative of your company all the time. Um, and I think that that is something that it, it becomes increasingly easy to forget about is there's sort of like a self-care and a company care that goes with that as well. So yeah. making sure that you do community management smartly rather than just like, we'll be on all the time because we can and we can always just be there for you and show you everything <laughs> that we want to show you about the game. But like actually putting a strategy behind that and being thoughtful and making sure that's communicated to every person that you work with yeah. so that they know as well. And we media train people. Um, but we also find really fun outlets. Like that's the great thing about working with a really like amazing group of developers is that like you get to know everybody's personalities and what they're really good at and what they want to do and what they offer that's really unique to community. And we build on that all the time. Like on the show floor, one of our designers, uh, he's really fast. So we've been like, cool, we're gonna pull something from the community and see if you can build it in ten minutes. And we've been doing this all day, and he's a workhorse. I mean, I'm amazed that he's like kept going. But we love finding those like unique things and giving people a chance to shine. And when we do that, it's like they don't feel that they need to do all the other things. Like we find something that's specific to them that the community really loves and bring that out. That's fantastic. I love I love stuff like that because it is, and you see it every time that you know stuff comes out of, of MM. 
it feels really, really thoughtful. It feels like everyone on that team is cohesive in that way, and, and they kind of know to push that stuff forward in, in good ways. Um, I want to kind of dig into uh, one of the, the main uh, topics about uh, the panel today is kind of bridging those cultural gaps as well. Um, that's really important. We see that you know games are uh, international. They are worldwide. They are in, in many, many places that you know we thought it was just in two places at one point, and it was just like Japan and, and the U.S., but it is many, many places. Um, Julian, I want, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, what has it been like um, being from Spain and making your game um, and having, that, having the, the cultural uh, touchstones that you bring into the game as an individual kind of reflect themselves in the games that you make. Um, that plus, uh, we had a discussion before about, you know, you having multiple people in multiple places um, uh, working with you on the game. How has it been to kind of meld those cultural references or, or, or meld those folks from different places uh, to kind of put out a cohesive product? I mean, I, I like every week devour TV shows and those are American TV shows. So I think sometimes that our game, uh, if you have played, it feels kind of like an American fiction, I think. Mm. And also our team is, the core team, that we have a lot of cool collaborators, but the core team is five people. We are two from Barcelona, but three of them are from the States. So the two writers are also from the States. And I think in the end, it feels, I guess it feels like really like American game. And working with, with the people like abroad, it has been at first tricky, but now really rewarding because um, we're like a small family, I want to think. I, I really like to work, uh, the way I always say is like the Spanish way because we're really uh, relaxed. You know, we are like, uh, if you know words in Spanish, you know, uh, fiesta and siesta, I always say, and it, it's, it's like that. Uh, and so when, when I'm managing the team, it's, I think we're doing good work, uh, but normally what's really important to me is not to, not to push the people to a point where they gets they get exhausted or, or like you know tired from the project just being chill I don't know uh, because that's the way like the they work they work best in the end because they're not getting like like really like stressed because of the game and and so I think the results are really really cool thanks to that also about being from uh, working uh, from Spain uh, we have this this silly thing not so silly for the release that. Um, we have got a lot of nice coverage uh, internationally. We uh, like Kotaku or, or Destructoid or uh, Rock Paper Shotgun, but we we weren't before release. We weren't getting covered by Spain, like by, by Spanish co uh, media outlets. A few maybe, but it's like nobody there took us that seriously. I think now now we have released a game. It has been. Statistically speaking, a success within the indie scene, and still it doesn't feel like they take us like that seriously. I, sometimes I think it may be because we are dating sim. I don't know if that's like a handicap or something to their perception. I hope it's not, but it's I don't know. Like we are okay with that now. You know the, the game is working. So, but when we have to think, uh, and, and it's not because I'm in, the, I'm in this panel. We have when we have to think <laughs> and when we discuss about. Um, 
what feels like a family is, is not like the, there's magnificent people in the Spanish scene, that's for sure. But when I have to think about a, a family we have within the indie scene, it's the Megabooth. Uh, because um, the first time we were uh, at an inter international convention was at GDC last year. We were selected by the Megabooth, we were like amazed. It was like being invited to sit at the cool kids table, you know? Like maybe from people uh, from here, the PAX is like more a normal thing. I don't know how it is, but for us it was like, you know, you see this in like people talking about PAX and GDC and, and, and suddenly like Monster Prom was going to be part of it. And we have been with the mega booth uh, like I think like many times since then, like a couple of PAX West, uh, one PAX East. I think this is techni technically our, our last time to be according to the rules. It's time for us to, to make room to other games like our next game maybe. And, but but it feels like family. And in Spain, there's as individuals, there's people we love, other developers, but and, and some some um, groups of people that are really nice. But I think that the closest to in the family we have is here, the Megawood family, and, and that's cool. Oh, no. We can share. By the end of this, we'll all be sharing one microphone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Kelly, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I, I'm curious to know, uh, kind of touching on the cultural aspect of it. You know, having to um, getting the chance to kind of pull in so many different games from from all over the world. Um, have you have you felt that there's been more of an influx of stories coming from any particular places or folks kind of trying to dig into uh, and talk about the cultural aspects of <laughs> their actual games uh, more in both gameplay and kind of narrative. Do you see that those are things that are coming up and being more prevalent in some of the stuff you're seeing coming through Megabooth? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, some of that is intentional on our behalf. And so when we very first started doing the Megabooth, it was a little bit like, wow, I wonder how many indie games are out there. Um, <laughs> So I didn't really know that many, and there. I mean, and to be fair, like the industry wasn't the like in the, the same place that it is now. Um, and then it kind of very quickly became like, oh, I think we need to curate. Like we need to to have a quality check, and we need to really think about what this is. And then it also started to become a community at the same time. So like you, what you're saying, like it feels like a family. And like the community part of the mega booth is actually incredibly important to me and to the developers. Like when we first started doing this, like even within the first couple shows, we just used to send out an email afterwards and be like, hey, why did you apply to the mega booth? Um, and like more than half of the people were like, I wanted to join a community, and I wanted to have other developers to talk to, and I wanted to meet more people. And so for a lot of indie developers, there's like pockets and local scenes. And so people will meet up with each other maybe like once a month or once every couple months um, because it can be very lonely and really isolating to work on a really small team and to work on passion projects and to work in small um, budgets. And you get really heads down and you kind of get in this bubble. Um, and then you would go out and talk to another person and they would have a similar experience. And having that camaraderie, even if you're only having it every once in a while, is incredibly important. And having the... the emotional support, I guess, that goes around like kind of going through the process of making a game. Because in some ways it's like, you know, you think of like maybe movies is kind of the closest thing, but like music or art, you know, you can kind of work on something like fairly quickly and be done with it or throw it out quickly. But like some games, I mean, 
there are some people who show their games in the first mega booth and the game is still not out. You know, it's like <laughs> seven, eight years. And like, that is not totally uncommon. And so you're doing it for years and years and years. Um, and so these local communities then, now what we've done is we've created a kind of global community. Hmm. Um, and sometimes we'll curate for games where somebody like will send a game in and it's from like, some country I didn't even know anybody was making video games or like a place like Kentucky, you know, which is not so exotic, <laughs> but I was just like, oh, wow. Is that a country? Yeah, we the just, country of Kentucky. Lost our, we just lost uh, our whole Kentucky crew <laughs> yeah, right now. Kentucky, like, what are you talking about? Indonesia. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so in situations like that, we'll, we'll invite them as long as the game is hitting some quality level because we want them to meet other people within the community so that they can learn those lessons and take it back to their local community and grow the scene there. Um, so we curate very heavily for that. Like we curate for game, company, and presentation, and the company part is really important. Um, and we also really like when people are bringing a part of themselves creatively to it, or they're bringing a story, or they're they're discussing something about their culture or a community, or, or just something different, right? Like you can you can buy any of the same stories over and over and over again anywhere. And like we started to get this, I'd say probably within the last few years. And we also work with. Um, like we had a fund through Intel, um, we work with Oculus and Epic and stuff as well to help fund um, teams to come to PAX, like shows like PAX to be able to show their games. And so I think for GDC actually, you were you guys might have been, we might have, I think we might have given you some money from like the Intel stuff at some point to like help to, to cover the booth yeah, spaces we're, or something. Yeah. Some small things, but yeah, yeah. we're like, like in a really tight spot at first. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's like because it's expensive and difficult for teams like that to get out there, and so we try to work with bigger companies and we try to come up with a, with ways and initiatives to like help to support um, help to support these teams and so we started seeing more stuff coming um, like we had a game that was made by an African development team that was based on African culture we had one from a team from India that was based on like um, Indian mythology and just like and stuff like that because it's like I play a game like that for a few minutes and I'm like oh yay like something new <laughs> you know like a new world and like new stories and new things. And so for me, that's personally exciting. And because I'm the boss and I get to choose what we do with it, um, <laughs> like I'll put games like that in there. And so over the years then, like then that that shows when, when other developers then see that that's possible or that something like that can get selected or like in the IGF when something like um, one of Christine Love's games, uh, Lady Killer in a Bind had one for narrative the year before, you know, like something like that is really important because there are people that don't submit their games to IGF or people that don't submit their games to the mega booth because they might not think that they can get selected or that it's not for them. And so the more that you're modeling what you're looking for, even if initially that's really small, once people see that and there's that model there, then they'll be like, oh, that could be me and like, I wanna make something like that or I am making something like that. And then that becomes more possible and we start to see more stories and more games that are like that. Yeah, awesome. Ika, um, Falcon Age looks super dope and I'm really excited for it. Um, I'm even more excited because I know that you've thought really, really hard about the cultural touchstones that are, that are coming along with that game. Um, I kind of want to give you a chance to kind of share a little bit about, you know, why that's important for you and, and, and why you decided to implement that stuff within Falcon Age. Sure. Um, I, I was born in Sri Lanka, but I grew up in Maryland. Um, another, another country. <laughs> the, the country of Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> I, I moved here when I was, when I was about eight, and uh, for a long time. I mean, this happens with all immigrant kids and probably every other kid too, but like, like you try to fit in as best you can, right? especially high school. High school's the worst, but uh, like growing up, you know, I was trying to just fit in as much as I can culturally, and that means like, you know, not like trying to fit in what everybody else does, and I did that for a long time, and I, you know, I started in games at 19. Is this on? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I worked on teams that, 
you know, we, you know, a lot of the games being made then, there's more variety now, but it wasn't a whole lot of variety. So I worked on big teams and smaller teams. And, and I knew when I started a company, I wanted to do, you know, have more characters that looked like me or, you know, that were more representative. And for, for Falcon Age, uh, and all, the other games are going to be doing Outer Loop, um, the main characters of, you know, South Asian descent and the world is um, kind of more representative of um, something a little different. And, you know, things like Black Panther and, like, the big sick and uh, get out. You're trying to see more typically, you know, side characters in, in movies and films and TV now having uh, fleshed out depth main characters. And I, I really, you know, I really appreciate that. And and stuff like uh, Assassin's Creed Origin, you know, a big studio doing a, doing characters that you are normally side characters and doing a whole story around that. So I think we're seeing starting to see a shift of more diversity in games and things, and not just the the characters that look different, but the stories are a little different too. And um, I'm, I've been really inspired. That's, I mean, it took Julian. It took ten months to start a studio. I took way too long. It took 21 years for me. <laughs> 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 and uh, just to touch on community a little bit, um, only reason I was able to do that was like talking to people like Kelly and my other friends that run studios. And like, uh, it's it's scary. Like That's trying very to scary. <laughs> yeah jump into it. So like having that community and having you know time to talk people to talk to and say. This, is this smart? Am I doing this right? <laughs> Who knows? Like, making games or making anything is a very vulnerable process. So it's like, I'm like coming to PAX. It's like I'm, I'm still like deathly afraid of people like touching the game. <laughs> and it's, I know it's gonna break, and it's like, but like you know, people come by and they they see it, they love it, and so like it feels really good. And PAX is one of my favorite shows for that. It's just like there's other industry events like E3, which is uh, people are there because they're paid to be there. But PAX, you know, you guys are you care about the games. You want to meet people and. Indie Mega Booth's been awesome to be part of. Um, but yeah, again, I'm really excited that there's more opportunities for people and different types of stories, and I mean, that's the kind of things we're building. Uh, the Falcon Age is, uh, you know, it's a main character, is a, it's a young woman uh, of, of South Asian descent, and she learns to become a falcon hunter, and we have like an older auntie character, which you never really see. Um, I have really mean auntie, so I was like, I want to kind of get some of that <laughs> in there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just Thank you for sharing, Eco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, don't tell them that. Like, it's <laughs> like it, just culturally a little different than what, what, you know, like the stuff that I, for a long time, I tried to like kind of hide, and now I'm more comfortable with, you know, kind of, I think, sharing some of that with everybody else. And um, anyway, so I'm super excited to still be making games. <laughs> <laughs> Abby, one of the things I love about Media Molecule is it does feel like, even from the outside, it feels like this fat, fantastic melting pot of different uh, different kinds of folks uh, helping to make some of the best games on the planet. Um, what's the... That was me fanboying. Shut up. Um, I'm fine with it. Um, I'll allow it. What's, what's, that look like from the, what's that look like from the kind of the comm side of things where um, we do see, at least here in the States, there's a, there's a huge kind of push uh, for more diverse voices and people kind of being pushed out to the front in terms of, you know, we want to see more, more people of color, we want to see more, more women out there, uh, or more non-binary folks and LGBTQ folks. Um, what's it been like from the media mo mo uh, molecule standpoint in terms of being able to showcase some folks from the team um, when, you know, we live in, a, in an age where, you know, folks don't want to be out front? Um, <laughs> what's, what's been the kind of ways you've kind of been able to kind of pull people's personalities out front and kind of add some little cultural bits to the stuff that you've already been doing. Yeah, I mean, I touched on a little bit about that before, is like identifying like a smaller thing that someone is comfortable with, yeah. you know, sharing or doing. Um, but the really nice thing about Dreams, too, is 
And I think really, actually, the nice thing, the thing that we've all been touching on with games is that like there's ways to bring out uh, and to reflect those elements of the team in our games. We wouldn't make the kind of games that we do um, without the kind of team that we have. And I think we have 28 different cultures represented across the studio. Mm. Um, and I, I want to say like 38% women. Um, That's awesome. And That's I mean, great. we're about 65 people. We're a pretty small studio. Um, but it's really important for us to have, you know, an, a, like an incredibly diverse team. And, you know, not only is that like a, a, a conscious, you know, choice that you make when you're choosing which characters you have in your game, like what you represent to the outside world, but it's also about, you know, to, to Kelly's point about being visible. And, um, you know, we do a lot of outreach to schools. We do a lot of, um, you know, we do a lot of public facing stuff so that we do have people who are representative. Uh, you know, like of our company so that we can bring in like more diversity, we can make um, more creative games. The, the cool thing about dreams is that you can make anything. Mm. And so, uh, you know, what's been really interesting is to watch people um, who don't generally contribute to maybe the main storyline that we do in a game, uh, like make smaller experiences, make other things. Like it's, it's like peeking inside like the heads of your coworkers, not in like a really <laughs> gross, weird way. Um, but it's fascinating, and, and I think that's, you know, what we're the most excited to see about the community is to see all these, like, you don't have to make, like, a huge AAA game. You can just make a small experience. You can make a piece of music. You can make, you know, something small. We've given people, um, like, basically free reign to, to, to do anything. So we want to see, like, that kind of diversity reflected in our community uh, in what we create. Um, but it's, it's, it's tough too. Like you can't, like you can't force people to be spokespeople for your company. No. And, um, so like I said, like we, we try to find like smaller bits of things. Um, and the nice thing about dreams, we've been able to pull out, uh, like a music piece or a level that someone has made and showcase that and just talk about them mm. rather than making them have to go out in front of a camera, which is terrifying to most people. Um, I've been really comfortable with it for a really long time, and I don't remember until I'm trying to coax people out to do interviews and that kind of stuff that, like, it's utterly terrifying for most people. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's been, um, it's, like, it's been a really fun experience on Dreams because I've never been able to work on a project and see that many people reflected directly in it, uh, which, is, which is awesome. That's awesome. Kelly, I want to jump uh, ahead a little bit. Um, what's one of the biggest obstacles that you see coming across in the indie space? Like, we've talked about tools getting better. We've talked about kind of um, uh, representation being a part of the, the, the equation. But we still see that we have a really saturated market mm -hmm. with a lot of cool stuff in it trying to get some exposure. Besides all those things, what's the other obstacle that you feel like Indie Mega Booth is kind of tackling by doing the work that they do so that folks can kind of get themselves out there? Um, I guess, I mean, I touched on this a little bit, but I think the community part is mm. super important. And I guess maybe a little bit to, to Abby's part and like that question about like representation and stuff as well as like modeling what we want to see happening. Yeah. And I think now that we've been doing this long enough and I'm starting to see people come through with like, oh, it's their second game or younger developers that were inspired by stuff that they've seen in the mega booth before and realizing the power of the community that we've had and like the impact that we've been able to have on indie games in general and on like what people view that sort of stuff. Like there's a couple years ago for PAX, like 
Um, there's some controversy, which I shall not be named, I guess. And we had a lot of people that really, really wanted us to leave PAX. Like, and mm. I had a lot of angry people in my community locally, and I lived in Boston, and um, that's where we started off at. And I talked to a lot of people about it because, like, I boycott a bunch of stuff. Like, I don't eat Domino's <laughs> pizza, and like, and I know it's not affecting anything, but I do it because I ethically feel like it's something that I want to boycott. And I had a really interesting conversation with a friend that was like, you know, if you're, if you really want to affect change, if you're the majority of the people participating in something, you boycott. If you're the minority, it's counterintuitive, but you actually sit in. Um, and that's why, like, if you use the civil rights as a, a comparison, like, the bus boycotts work because, you know, everybody's riding the bus, and then we're like, well, we're not going to, and so now you're not going to make any money. Um, but then you, like, sit in on diners because you're not allowed there, and so you're yeah. increasing your presence and your visibility. And so we decided to to sit in, basically, and to stay and to make it better and to make it what we wanted to see. And, like, and now I see that, and I'm not saying that, like, we're the only people that did it. Like, you know, PAX, like, um, you know, made a lot of changes, and there were a lot of conversations around that. But, like, I'm really glad that we made that decision and that we stuck through to create the community and create the change and create the positivity that we want to see. And, like, and I really think that Indie Games is pushing a lot of the, like, like, fringe conversations forward in the larger community of, like, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, like how do we increase representation, how do we do this stuff, and it's kind of like a breeding ground for all of those things, and so being a part of like an ability to, to create like an incubation space for that kind of stuff, and a safe space and a community for people to support each other and to like, to give positive feedback for positive stuff, because I think there's, there's so much negativity and there's a lot of attention on people that are like negative and like how shitty things are and just like, and it's super overwhelming and like, but if you focus on like what we all want the future to be and you do the slow and steady thing and you support the people and you reward them for having that kind of behavior or reward them for like those things happening, you know, I'm seeing it like it's seven, eight years in and like it's nice. Like we have a nice welcoming community and like we don't tolerate like even if the game is super cool and the team is awful, like we just don't work with them and we don't put the game in the space and like <laughs> that's my choice, like I don't have to do that, right? Like, yeah. in a kind of very blunt way, like when I was first starting, I was like, I don't wanna work with assholes, and like, and I just don't. <laughs> I don't wanna reward the behavior, like no matter what we get out of it. Um, and sticking to that principle has been like difficult, but I think it's important. And like, you know, like I said, like creating that space where other people can feel safe, like taking, like being wel like welcomed into something like that and feeling like it's okay, um, I think is, has been really, really important to me. Dope, dope. <laughs> Um, and I'm happy you said that about the negative stuff that we see in the, in the, in the industry uh, that happens often. So we're going to pivot <laughs> to things that are not negative. <laughs> so um, I, I want to talk about, uh, and this is for everyone on the panel, um, when you are in those hard spaces during your job, when you're doing everything that you have to do to make sure things are moving forward and, and, and kind of pushing, what is the thing that you lean on or what is the thing that you like the most about your job? that pulls you through and you can reflect on that to kind of get the thing done. Um, Abby, I'll start with you. <sighs> <laughs> That's so heavy. Um, I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of what this job entails that is like doing the best with the resources that you have at any given time and that is true regardless of whether you were working at a small indie company or a AAA one. And that can be incredibly stressful. It can involve a lot of like um, just adaptation and ability to like change things on the fly, to be spontaneous um, and to think quickly. And it can be really overwhelming 
what I have, what I, what I've really loved about working at MM is there's a support network of people um, that you know you can you can be very open and frank with uh, to say like, look, I'm having a hard day. I really could use help with this, and yeah. and having that sort of support network internally. We talk so much about building community externally. And then you sort of took it to the, the second point where you're like, but we also, as a developer, I need a community. Even within a developer, you need a community and building that sort of internal, those internal relationships and having other people around you that you can rely on or if you're having a bad day that you can talk to. Um, and that sounds like it should be an easy thing, but it's often not because especially when you're in a position of leadership at a company, um, you can have days where you're worried about things and you're upset about things, but it's really important not to let that um, sort of seep out to people around you. Mm. Um, so, like, because, like, the same way that we talk about toxic communities, like, that can exist within developers as well because game development is really hard. Yeah. And it can be really stressful and it can bring out the worst in you and everyone around you. And I think sometimes it's really, I, I think it's, like, really nice to have a person that's outside of your company. Um, you know, like you are saying, like, somebody else at another developer, someone else who's, like, part of Indie Megabooth to be able to talk to you about some of the same concerns and problems that you have. Um, so building that sort of support network, building that community is like an incredibly important thing to have because you just don't want to bring that negativity to people around you because yeah. uh, we all have stressful days um, and, you know, big wins and then like big downs too. Yeah, yeah. Ika? Yeah, it's really easy to get myopic and uh, like you're stressing out about a particular problem in your game and then, you know, you think it's like the most important thing and I go to my kids and they could give a shit about it, right? Like, <laughs> like and my wife's like, well, you know, I teach kids, and I, you know, had this situation, which is like, I'm just making a game. It's like, but it's really, really, like, you know, she's teaching the youth, which is awesome. Um, like, it's, and it's really helpful as a team for us, like, going out to lunch together. Like, yeah. we're a small team, and we, we're all distributed uh, around Seattle, but also in London, all over the place, but um, just getting together once in a while, that it's not specifically, because we're in the middle of, a day in the middle of production, it's really hard to have like a, a regular conversation, right? Because yeah. you're just like, oh, we got this deadline, we got to finish this thing, we got to do this thing, and just going out to lunch and just you know go see a movie together or just go out. To I started a softball team. That's awesome. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, nice. I coach football. Nice. <laughs> in my spare time. Um, American or European? Uh, American football. My kids <laughs> play on. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> We play football once a week, but the European guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, the kicky. Which I refuse to the call. I actually, I'm actually being really good right now. Usually I just call it soccer, and I make them all, you know, <laughs> embrace my culture. Yeah, you know, or it's really I'm a horrible to... American in the studio, by the way. <laughs> I've done appalling things to crumpets. I didn't even know that was a thing that you could mess up. And, Wait, like, you can no one spoke crumpets? to me for, like, a week after they saw me make tea. So. <laughs> Americans are terrible. Yeah, I mean, ha having a hobby outside or game job is, is super useful and just having talking to other people that give you a different perspective has been again that, that's come down to a community whether it's your family your friends or someone that's outside of your very you know focus group uh, it's been super 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 helpful um yeah having hobbies is good something else to do something else and this, this yeah. might be related to the crunch stuff we want, we want to talk about that uh but like i used to work mm -hmm. a lot more i think everybody yeah. used to work a lot more. Yeah. It was um, a lot easier when we were, just like we were talking about the show stuff earlier and how it's like, oh yeah, you know, like I had such stamina at PAX like 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> no. It's not like that anymore. <laughs> yeah. And no. I feel like I, I get a lot more done working less these days too. Yeah. Um, just focus, because you just, you just get tired. Your brain gets tired and you're just like ramming your head against the same problem. Yeah. And you don't even again. realize sometimes no. that like no. you're in that hole. I've had, you know, like, like you, sometimes you get to get in those uh, like 
period before, like a big show or something, where it's like, oh, we need screenshots, and oh, sh oh God, we need them today. Uh, and then, like, I've had, you know, like one of our artists, like, and they'll, they'll, you know, take it upon themselves and then stay up all night, and they're making this thing, and they they just go down that hole. And then you look in the morning, like, why did you vignette everything to the point where you like? It's sometimes it's better to just step away, come back to it, <laughs> and like you actually get more done by stopping working. Yeah, or you're trying to solve a design problem or a program problem, and you like just stay up all night and then you just leave, yeah. you get sleep, wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, duh. Yeah, rest. and it's, and it's hard, it doesn't feel like, you know, you feel like you yeah. have to get this done and there's deadlines, but like it's, it's been an amazing lesson how important it is to be able to step away, back away, give your brain a rest. Um, you know, and it sounds counterintuitive when we have deadlines and we have things that need to get done, but it helps. Well, you can't like, so brute, yeah, you can't brute force your way into a creative solution. No. And like, I've been actually like reading and listening to tons of podcasts and stuff, basically like, you know, the art of procrastination or slowing down and like, yeah, you really need time to kind of like process and think through those things. And I think there's also a culture, um, you know, just a general work culture, but especially in tech where it's like very instantaneous, like, and I blame Twitter for a lot of this kind of shit, but it's just like, it's instantaneous. <laughs> like, okay, this is my reaction. This is my reaction. This is my reaction. It's like, stop reacting. Like when are you breathing? When are you thinking? When you're sleeping? You know, like your, your instinctual first thing that comes out of your mouth is probably horrible and like mm. lizard brain and weird. <laughs> and like, people aren't supposed to like really be doing that sort of stuff, you know? And like, yeah, you really kind of need to like mull it over and, and step away from stuff. And like, I'm saying this as if I'm super awesome at it. Like this is a thing that I I've just started being able to do like I'm just like starting to get hobbies again and like yeah getting regular night sleep and not working like crazy because my idea is that like if I'm not in front of my computer or I'm not like yeah like mm. brute forcing my way through that I'm not really working yeah. you know and some of that comes from like you know I, I grew up um in not so great financial situation I guess and like most of the people around me and most of the jobs I had before that were more like like labor or retail or you're like physically doing stuff all the time and switching into a thing where you're thinking feels super cushy and like privileged and weird and so I'm like well I've, I have to be miserable at it or else I'm not actually like really working mm. um, and like and that doesn't make you better it makes you miserable and it makes your work really bad and it makes your work suffer like you know, the eight-hour workday was something I think like Henry Ford had researched on like how long can a person physically work become, before they become so tired that they stop being as productive. And we still work like that in tech. And the thing, like for creative and, and like intellectual work, I think it's more like six hours or maybe five or something. Like mm -hmm. you, it feels like your brain should just be able to like go and go and go and go forever because it's not like, I don't know, a muscle or something like that, but it actually does not work that way at all. Um, and so, like, the idea that that's still kind of, like, like pushed as, like, how we're supposed to work and you have to, like, sit on the desk and then you also have to be on Twitter for, like, 20 hours a day or something <laughs> responding to everything that happens is just, like, actual insanity, you know? Yeah. 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 And that's actually a really terrible part of American <laughs> culture, too. Yeah. Like really yeah, the work, 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 work. Yeah. yeah. The, talk siestas. about siestas. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Tell us the art of siesta. I think there's a lot to learn, maybe, from the Spanish culture. I'm, yeah. I'm not from there. I'm actually from Argentina, South America, and so I, I went to, to Spain when I was 10 or so. And if you go to, to Spain, I don't know if you have been there, like uh, still lots of, of shops or stores uh, close from two to four or to two for, to five just to, to eat and even like to sleep a bit. And I think that's the way to go. Yeah. And that's yeah. just me. Yeah. And <laughs> it's to remember that there's it, there shouldn't be uh, no deadline that stops you uh, from getting a dinner with friends or just 
partying or just you know like relaxing um, because if you if you forget that you're like I think kind of missing the point because it's amazing to, to work creating things I, I'm so grateful for that but at the same time what's the point if you are not also like enjoying life for all the other things so I try to do that myself I try to always remember as, as the one managing uh, my team to to do that sometimes sometimes the artist comes and tell me like uh, my family is, is visiting or I have this convention I want to and I am like I am like just yeah, go, go, uh, enjoy the time, and then you come later, and we keep working. Because, what's the point if you are starting to feel stress or or worrying, like if I will let you do that? Like, what what's the point if if you can like just enjoy life? And the other thing I'm I'm really grateful, and that helps me like um, keep working even when I'm in uh, at a bad spot is is the community, but meaning like the fandom. Uh, in that sense, we are. I think we are kind of lucky that we have a really healthy uh, community. We have like this Discord channel. It's, it's not a, a lot of people, but I think there's like more than three thousand people, and it's like really healthy as a community. And and so sometimes I'm like uh, stressed or I'm like like really tired. But remember, there's like so uh, a lot of fans waiting for that. Like these packs, we have seen like between ten or fifteen like cosplayers already. And that makes you want to work more because you have these ideas in your head uh, with your whole team. And when you are like getting tired, you, you see all these people that's waiting for you to keep creating. And that, I, at least to, to me, it helps, uh, it helps a lot to keep creating, you know? It's really grateful as a creator. Yeah, that's a great point. Like one of the things that we do in the studio is like we have a couple walls that we just dedicate to like fan art and things and letters that our community have sent us. And once a week, our uh, community manager compiles like tweets that like people have sent that are just kind words and things and sends them out to the team. And it's amazing what a difference that makes. I think sometimes like people think that like that stuff gets lost in the void, but it really doesn't. It makes a huge difference. Like when people are really stressed and working really hard and there's deadlines. I mean, cause it's, it's lovely to be able to step back and relax from a project, but that's rare. And it's, it makes a huge difference to have like, just like every once in a while, like kind word. And then we make sure that we share that with everybody on the team. That's why I think like shows like this um, can also be really important for developers because it kind of um, reinvigorates them in a way because they get to interact with the fans and really see the effect of what they're doing and what they're working on. Like uh, we had a developer um, show like a year or so ago and she's made a bunch of different games and people came up and they were just like, you know, really fanning out about like how much they liked her her older stuff and how exciting it was to meet her. And she came out of it and she's just like really overwhelmed. And she's like, I was not expecting, I was not expecting that to happen. And I wasn't expecting like what an impact it was going to have on me. And basically, like that kind of keeps people going till the next one. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they come out to it and then they're yeah. like, Oh my God, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? And then at the end of it, you're like, I get it. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, and it's good for people who can't go to like find a way to share that with them. Like yeah. send messages back, oh, yeah, give for updates. Sure. Yeah. We set up a Google Hangouts once, so like everybody could like basically dial in and, and see. Well, cool. yeah. Dangerous if you do that with video chat. I, I, <laughs> I shouldn't share this story, but I won't name names. Uh, we did have someone uh, dial in to our uh, Google Hangout uh, and didn't realize that uh, it was a video and he was on the toilet. And then immediately, <laughs> and immediately realized uh, and then uh, and then like dropped the phone and could <laughs> into the toilet. 
so <laughs> lessons learned. Lessons you know, learned. I really feel like this is actually a design flaw with Google Hangouts. You should not have the video on as a default. That is no. the yeah. worst thing. Yeah. Every time that I'm doing it, this is the picture that they, everybody sees is the upside of my nose. And I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I've had one of those private dancer moments, and it was not cute. Um, we have about five minutes or so before the end of the panel. Time has flown. If you have a question, please queue up in the middle aisle, and then you'll be able to do that. Um, really quickly, while people are queuing up, um, I want to go down the line really fast and give folks a chance to shout out something that they are really excited about that's coming up. Uh, if you want to plug what you're doing, that's also fine. That was um, my question. What? Oh, the plug things? Yeah. Oh, OK, fine. Go, go ahead, go, answer your question. No, go, go, go for it. You go, okay. All right, Julian, you go first. Uh, yeah, well, I want to shout out uh, other Spanish games that are being done or recently released. Uh, they are billions. I, I think they don't need a shout out because they're like doing so good. Uh, Moonlighter, too. But it's, it's, I, I guess it's nice to, to tell they're like Spanish games, too. And also, <laughs> recently, Kickstarter, like Temtem, I'm, well, not that recently, Blasphemous. Uh, I'm, I'm getting really excited because um, there's not that many Spanish games that are well known internationally. I would say maybe God's School will be watching is the one Spanish indie game that's the most known. And now there are a lot that are appearing recently. I would say Monster Prom 2 maybe. But it's, it's really nice to see that we are starting to become a, a really productive community that's starting to be seen uh, like on, on all the other countries, you know? Got it. Kelly? Um, yeah, so I think, so we actually started doing a thing we implemented, we do shout outs at the beginning of our weekly meetings where everybody on the team can say a nice thing about something that someone else has done on the team or someone that supported them. So I kind of like, I know it's my own thing, but I also kind of want to like, I don't know, <laughs> the team that we built this year is like, it's been amazing and it's been like, it's changed a lot of like how the Mega Booth runs and works and I just feel like super, super, super grateful and like this show in particular has kind of been the final the final end of me hanging on to a lot of old shit. And so it was nice to like have the team there and, and be supportive and like just, they've just been awesome. So I wanted to give a shout out for that. And then um, the other thing I wanted to give a shout out for is um, Girls Make Games, which mm. is a program that um, was started by a woman named Layla who actually had shown in the mega booth, she was making educational games um, and she had come through and then she started this program that teaches um, like middle school girls, like elementary, middle school, high school girls, how to code and, and program, make games. And they've actually submitted games into the mega booth and then shown them and like, and it's really grown and like they work closely with um, with Xbox and like it's just been, it's just a super, super cool program. And I just think it's like really, it was really great to see that like come out of the community. So that was that was my other shout out. Badass, Ika. Um, come check out the mega booth. After you do that, <laughs> go to the sixth floor and there's some, Great stuff on the PAX 10 and just around yeah. the corners. There's lots of great, there's tons of stuff up there. Yeah. yeah. Abby? Sight <laughs> <laughs> gags work really well for podcasts. <laughs> uh, we've been, we've been really, really big fans of Untitled Goose Game uh, uh, ever since we, we saw it at GDC because you're sat next to them. Uh, I'm very excited about that. But honestly, I mean, like you're here, I think. My uh, thing, I, I think it's a great chance to talk to developers and, and people in the industry and like don't, don't miss that uh, opportunity because it's a really fun chance to learn a lot from people. And I've always found that at PAX that people are really accessible and really take the time to like talk to everyone here. It's a really friendly, really great show. So like don't miss that opportunity. I think it's, it's really special. We love chat chatting with fans, so please. Yeah, go be nice to devs when you see them out in the, out in the world because they really, <laughs> really appreciate it. Everybody, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you. Give it up to the folks on the panel today as well.
Before you go, in the back of the room, there are also some questions right there that people are talking about right there. But on the back of the room, there's some swag before you leave. Uh, really quick, uh, folks who are at the, at the mic, if you want to answer your question or ask your question, I'm sorry. Sure. Um, so I wanted to touch on exposure really quick. Uh, we, like I'm partnered with this guy right over here, and we're making an indie game, and we're going to plan on doing Twitter and website and everything else like that. But how else should we increase our exposure out there? Um, especially as we're like holding out full-time jobs and just kind of like meeting once a week and doing this at our nights, like how should we approach that? That is, is it, like a long question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you yeah. want to test out your idea in the market, right? So if sure. you have Twitter, like throw a GIF up there, see how people respond. See what, like, that, like for, I've been trying to do that more. Like mm -hmm. what does people respond to, right? And then focus on that thing a little more and try to do more of that. And, it's every game is very you know as you probably sure. know every game is very different and some you know it might not be the right time for that game it might not you not find the right audience for it but like yeah and especially with social media just throw something out there and see how people uh, react to it if you can yeah and it's yeah. also like a ten player game too so oh okay like oh you made this, this easy <laughs> yeah yeah I really made my our, our first game hard on ourselves so yeah. <laughs> I think it's a but we live in a really good time in the sense that there's like many ways of create your own milestones. Like, let's see if we can get this many followers on Twitter. Let's see if people do fan art after like sharing the characters. It depends on the game, of course. Mm -hmm. Let's do a Kickstarter, which is not only to gather money also for that, but to test the market. Sure. Uh, I think it's super important to not marry, marry completely the idea, like, like it has to be exactly this and, and to, to check with these milestones of how the people is reacting and, and be, you know, like uh, flexible about that. We did that with Monster Pro and we uh, first... Be flexible. Yeah, exact, exactly. Yeah. Like we first did like on TickSource uh, devlog and we were like, let's see if people want to comment about that. Then we, we were like, okay, it's working. We have like many pages of people discussing monsters and whatnot. Let's do a Twitter. Let's see if we get like followers and, and that. And finally a Kickstarter. Like you, you have to build your own milestones. I think that's really important for an indie developer because probably you are putting a lot like uh, on, on the game that's you know, from your own life, you know? So you need to be sure that you're going the right direction. I think. Thank you. Thank you so much for your question. Next awesome. and last yeah. question of the show. Um, as uh, the indie development community matures and like uh, gamers' preferences mature. Do you think it's still possible to be like a one-man team, or is that like going by the wayside? Or a yeah. one-woman team? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think depending on the, on the type of games you want to make, you know, I think uh -huh. um, what was the whole town that just came out recently that uh, on mobile that I think is a one-person team. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's definitely. I think it's definitely possible. I would not romanticize it too much. Yeah. We talk about wearing a lot of hats. You'll wear all the hats. Yeah. yeah. It's, so yeah. along those lines, at what point do you start considering bringing in other people into your team in order to? When you feel overwhelmed, really, that's a really good, good <laughs> yeah. point of seeing. I, like, yeah, yeah, I guess it depends on like how you're funding it. If you're, if you're doing it in your like, if they're you know you have full time jobs. Uh, and if you can marry in your spare time and get it to a point where people are interested, that's the best. Like, and if you want to yeah, yeah. fill that question out and fill it out a little bit more after the panel, please do so. Yeah. Uh, the folks cool. may be uh, able to give you some time to be able to do that. Thank you for your question. Again, thank you everyone for coming and hanging out. Uh, Julian, uh, Ika, Kelly, and Abby, thank you so much for your time. And thank you everybody for coming out. Thank you. Guys. Thank you.